Did you turn it off? Okay. I noticed this morning <clears throat> in the prayer for illumination that that prayer, that moment that we take to ask the Lord to give us wisdom to understand his word, to understand what we need to know. I noticed in that prayer this morning it said, Lord, teach us your ways. <clears throat> in Psalm 103 and verse 7, the psalmist wrote that he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. And there's two different things there, the ways of God and the acts of God. And too often we are more interested in his acts. We want the miracle. We want the manna. We want the healing. We want the, the provision. But the ways of God go much deeper than that. And that's not today's sermon, but it sure is an exciting concept as we get into learning about the ways of God. And we're going to learn about one of his ways this morning. Our, because our scripture lesson this morning was taken from Hebrews, where the writer mentions a future covenant that the Lord will make with his people. Now the writer to the letter of uh, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is referring to a prophecy that was made by Jeremiah. And let's take a look at that prophecy from chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, where <clears throat> Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now our passage from Hebrews this morning only quoted verses 33 and the end of verse 34. However, the full passage, this full passage from Jeremiah had been quoted earlier back in chapter 8, verses 8 and 12. Now the Jews to whom this letter was written would be familiar with all that was involved in the comparison of the new covenant with the old. But we may not be as familiar. So let's consider for a few moments just a few points of interest. Most of us think of a covenant in terms of a contract. Now maybe that's not true for you, but most people do. It's a contract between two parties. Now, while that is true for the old covenant, it is not true for the new covenant, which we'll see a little later on. Now, the first thing said by Jeremiah about this new covenant is that it will not be like the old covenant that was made with Israel when they were delivered from their Egyptian bondage. Therefore, we need to know what the old covenant was like in order to distinguish the differences, make awareness of the differences between the old and the new. So what was the old covenant like? Well, 
It, it kind of fit Jim's favorite description of computer logic, if, then, else. Okay? That was the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant fit this thought with, if you do that, then I will do this, or else. Now, obviously that's in its simplest form, but hopefully you get the idea. We know that the Old Covenant was made up of rules, regulations, and rituals, commandments. If Israel would do those things, then they would be God's people, and if not, he would reject them. That's the Old Covenant. As we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 16 to 18, and pay attention to the sections that I've highlighted in each verse. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and rules. Now this section, he's telling me, if you obey, this is what it's going to look like. This, this tells you how to love the Lord, okay? So there's the if clause. Then, here comes the then clause. Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And here comes the or else. But, if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over Jordan to enter and possess. Now the if then else is plain to see where I highlighted it there, but in, in the passage where Moses summarizes the covenant that God made with them in the wilderness. This is the true form of a contract. That's our concept of a contract. Two parties agree to perform certain actions, certain things in certain ways. And if one party breaks their end of the agreement, then the other party is free from their end of the agreement. The contract is no longer valid. It's null and void. So Jeremiah declares that Israel had violated their part of the covenant. In fact, the entire prophecy of Jeremiah is um, about what is happening to Israel as a result of their unfaithfulness to the covenant. Okay, they, were, they were carried away into Babylon and because they had broken their end of the agreement with God. But God, use that, verb, use that thought many times, but God. But God knows and takes pity upon us. He knows that we are not able to keep up our end of the bargain. Therefore, God makes a covenant, promises a covenant, that is not dependent on our ability to do anything. There are no commands associated with this new covenant. There are no terrible consequences as a result of failure on our part. Notice that the entire promise of the new covenant is placed squarely in God's court. It's all on him. We have zero responsibility for anything. Let's look at it. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I and write them on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where had the old law been written? It was written on tables of stone. Written in a book. It was written in the book, in the Bible. Where is it being written now in the new covenant? It's being written within. 
It's not we're out here looking, trying to interpret it. We're being given what we need. God even accounts for our weakness when he adds in this, I will remember their sins no more. As I was going back over this this morning, the question occurred to me, then why do I? Why do I remember my Why do I recognize the sins of others? If God's not doing it, am I trying to pick up the slack? Has God fallen down on the job of judging one another? I don't think so. God will in no way ever bring up our sins to our face again. He will never mention them again. Our sins and our sinfulness will no longer be on his mind. Now, if you're hearing what I'm saying, there should be a thought going on because this goes contrary to all the stories we've been told about how, how God will review our life on a big future and hope we our bad deeds. You ever, anybody ever heard that story before? I have. Now, all that is fiction designed to scare you into acting However, in the Old Testament, God did continually remind his people of their present and past failures. But this is done away with in the New Testament because of Jesus. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. God is no longer continually reminding anyone of their failures their sins, their inability to keep their end of the agreement. When Jesus shouted, this is one of the things he was referring to. His death on the cross, any requirement of offering for sin. In fact, there was never a requirement of an offering for sin. Now you may think that Dale's gone off his rocker again because the Old Testament says it seems to be. But God actually set all that up for the people to be able to understand that they had no ability to keep the law in any part or form. Let me show you a few verses where I get that from. In Psalm 40 and verse 6, the psalmist writes, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. I like the way the King James says it. It says, But mine ear thou hast digged. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, King David wrote this, and he was operating under the Old Covenant. He understood that the laws about sacrifice were not what God was after. Remember I told you at the opening the difference between the acts and the ways? The sacrifices are the acts, but the ways are hidden there in the symbolism. Okay? What is the ways of God? Well, David was not the only one to figure this out. Samuel said, has the Lord, he was talking to Saul when Saul had messed up again. 
Has the Lord sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Solomon, David's son. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Can you see what I'm talking about, the difference between the acts and the ways of God? <clears throat> now David summed all of it up after he messed up with Bathsheba and Nathan came to confront him. David said this in Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17, he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it now that was the requirement as it was written in the books if you sin you bring a sin offering and yet David says here you will not be pleased with a burnt offering why because of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise David had gain the understanding that all those outward activities were symbolic of what God was really after in the heart of his people. He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to people. We're seeing here that he made known his ways to David and Paul, because Paul understood this and used this as the basis for presenting the gospel. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and verse 20, says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then in verse 20, he goes on and says, for by works of the law, no, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul is setting up his claim here that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn our place with God. There's nothing we can do to be or become righteous there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor he said that no law because the law produces sin now we may not understand that at first glance but but if you think about it what do we have in our society we have the underlying belief that rules are made to be broken you ever heard that? Rules are made to be broken. Now while that it points to a reality that Paul understood. He understood this because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him the same way it was revealed to those in the Old Testament that we looked at earlier. Law produces sin. It causes the rebellion in the heart of man. So God makes it plain for any and all to understand that he will write his laws on our hearts. Now, when the Bible speaks of heart in this manner, it is speaking of the seat of desire, where your desires come from. Okay. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, the good in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our desires are within the heart. And we cannot change our desires. 
but God can, and he does. That is the new covenant. That's the agreement that God has made with us. If you look closely, no requirement on our part for this to occur. The new covenant is not in any form a covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This is a totally one-sided covenant. There's nothing for you to do. There's nothing you can do. There's no rule that you can break. There's not even anything we can do to make it happen or not happen. It's a covenant that God made, said, I'm doing it, forget about it. It's a done deal. God that he will bless us regardless of our condition. We all quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world in the condition that it was in, not in the condition that it's going to be. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Saints, that is an amazing love. That's a love that we probably cannot comprehend. But we can celebrate it as we sing with.